everyone. Thanks for tuning in to Power Athlete Radio featuring The Crew, where a former pro football player, a D3 all-star, and a guy who peaked in high school use strength and conditioning as an excuse to talk about everything but. Now here's John, Luke, and Tex. Drive on. Kick the wheels right before the hammer strikes. Make sure the levels fall from low. I got the girls shining oh so bright. Good morning, John. What's happening? Good morning, Tex. And to you. I'm Luke, and this is another episode of Power Athlete Radio, the premier podcast in strength and conditioning. Bang. Zero. <laughs> if you're wondering what the zero has to do with anything, well, it's the last number on the hotline, which is a 10-digit sequence of numbers that... You dial into a phone and we'll connect you with our voicemail. And that's exactly what this listener did today. We are doing another episode of our crew podcast where we scrub our voicemail and find questions that need answers. And we give those to you. If you have a question that you want to ask us, call us. 929-464-464-0. That's right. That's 929-ing-ing. Zero. That's right. That's right. And you call that number, leave us a voicemail, give us as much info as you want, or maybe as little as in- info as you want. More is like, we want it to be perfect, really. We want the right amount of info, but we don't want too much. The goal should be 40 to 55 seconds because that's really as long as of attention span as all of us have. Yeah, <laughs> I, I don't know if you can hope to contain Tim Wacker. Tim Wacker is a force to be reckoned with. Well, but he needs to know, and we he, we owe him answers. That's not Well, he leaves us shorter ones, but he just leaves a series of shorter ones. Instead of, <laughs> saying, instead of leaving us a five-minute one, he leaves us five uh, Well, he's probably hours. like, oh, my God, I don't want these guys to roast me. Tim, I'm telling you, just just let it let it flow. Just let it, Just give us three three-minute voicemails. Get us all the info. We'll figure it out. Well, it beats the Fig Newton. Well, hey, guys, this is going to be a long one. And then we're like, oh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Fig Newton is also Tom Caravolis out of Newton, Massachusetts. Doxed? Did I dox him? No. um, Well, we call him Fig because he likes to wear a loincloth. He's Mm -hmm. Greek. Mm -hmm. So it's his preferred, you know, dress of being uh, American Greek is the loincloth. Yes. Very hairy man who likes to be shellackied. Um, Shellangied. Shellangied. With olive olive oil. Uh, Speaking of which... Uh, Stephen G. Miller and I have been uh, emailing back and forth, and he's sending us his new book. Oh, sweet. So I'm pretty excited about it. He researched. He found some really interesting information in his excavation of like the Olympic sites. It has to do with the Dark Ages. And a little background for new listeners, potentially. Stephen G. Miller was one of your professors yeah, in at, at Berkeley. At Berkeley and uh, is currently in Greece, like yeah. at... So when, lim- or- when he was in his 30s, he was a PhD student. He went to Greece and uh, based on the like the documents from antiquity, was able to f- discover one of the original Olympic sites at Nemea and started excavating it himself. Mm-hmm. Went back to Berkeley, presented his PhD, got PhD, got funding, and then every summer went back and excavated. And now he lives over there. He retired, lives over there full time. And I, uh, I emailed him because, man, I... Um, I think Joe Rogan had a guy on the podcast that uh, was an anthropologist that went through and was talking about like uh, psychedelics being used within wine for all these ancient cultures and like pulled all this stuff together. And uh, I was going to pick up the book because I think it's kind of an interesting deal. But I sent Stephen G. Miller, hey, had you heard of this? And he's like, I have. The only problem is I've never encountered any of this in any of my research. And he's the foremost expert in the world on ancient yeah. athletics and these orig- original Olympic sites, mm-hmm. which were kind of rituals and festivals all mixed in one. Mm-hmm. So the Olympic Games were like a festival. So he's like, if there was psychedelics and like, you know, secret weird ingredients in wine and all the other stuff, like there would be something within like the, uh, like the, you know, historical text or something yeah, within yeah. it to reference it. So I he, think that was episode just for our mm-hmm. listeners, 82 or something. Correct. You are correct. Yeah. Uh, I'm still fighting to get him back now, on. Do what, you remember? Do you remember in that episode what uh, what they had to outlaw in the original Olympics? That was like the original PED uh, performance enhancing drug. Uh, yeah, wasn't it uh, bee pollen? I think it was milk. Was it milk? I, I it, think it was it was cow's milk because 
the athletes who had access to cow's milk were strong, bigger, stronger, and faster. We'll have to, I'll have to go yeah, back and re-listen to, to that. But he, uh, um, so he's sending me his new book. I want to get him on to talk about it because uh, I've always been fascinated by the dark ages. Mm-hmm. So there's always this idea that like, why is it the dark ages? And people assume because like nothing happened. I think it's called the dark ages, and at least through my research, because there's no historical referencing of that period of time. Mm-hmm. Um, so at the time, the Catholic Church controlled most of the information, and they just choose to make it disappear. Eh, we don't like that one. Yeah. So <laughs> he, yeah, he's got a book on that, and um, just a super sharp dude. But yeah, my con is to get him back, but I don't know if he has access to Zoom. I think he might only have a landline. Oh, I think we're going to have to go and do it in person, John. Mm. Dude, you want to talk about an epic deal that we could go to the site of one of the original Olympic Games? Mm-hmm. I mean, talk about power athlete going home. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 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 The origin of the power athlete. Yeah. Well, I mean, how, how can we segue? Talk about athletic development. Yeah. Long-term and yeah, peaking long-term after high school. Peak potential. Well, let's, uh, let's pull up our... So here's who we got. We got new, our loyal listener. Yeah, we got no name, but we have a phone number. So if you want, if here's his phone. Just kidding. Uh, <laughs> I, you should totally post it in the show uh, notes. No, I'll put TC's phone number. Um, here we go, guys. Here's the question on the old voicemail. You guys ready? Let's do it. Hey, dudes. Long time, first time. Uh, wife just told me that she's pregnant. We're having a boy. Big, big, uh, big news. Excited about a potential future power athlete joining the crew. Yeah. Question though. So at least five years ago, John talked about on a podcast uh, with Romanoff about crawling tracks and not swaddling and spatial awareness for babies and et cetera. I haven't heard a lot of information since. I'm just wondering what's the updated news on raising a kid uh, between the Summers and the Wellborn clan. Thanks. Look forward to it. Bye. My first question is when he said, my wife's having a baby, you need to ask him who the hell did that? Yeah. Who did that? Yeah. Who did? <laughs> How? You know, Explain how this happened. In, in the other guys, remember when he's like, who put a baby in you? <laughs> remember, he's like, Gator ain't got no babies. <laughs> uh, Gator. Uh, um, well, thanks for calling. Thanks for listening. Thanks for dropping a question. Tex, what do you think? Interesting. Um, well, why not start with uh, lots of barefoot crawling, you mm. know, and just set the kid free? Yeah, I guess uh, the episode I think he's talking about. We we were trying to scrub real quick before yeah. we started filming yeah. our recording. I don't this. think we've ever had Doctor Romanoff on. I don't think so, but I do think you and Spitz talked a little bit about yeah. his research. Dave Spitz out of Cal Strength. Uh, do you have that episode? One hundred and eighty-eight. One eighty-eight, which I don't think is going to be on iTunes. So you'll yeah, poweratheathq.com. Yeah, you have to go to poweratheathq.com/slash/podcast and you can find it there in the archives. Radio. Oh, slash radio. Correct. Thank you, Tex, for the clarification. Powerthethq.com slash radio. And you, I think everything's up there. Almost everything. I've got some hidden episodes. You mean the Cal, the Cal Turley one we never released? Well, I don't have that one. Cali has yeah, that Cali one. burned it. Uh, and then we have the Summer Strong flop. And then we have the episode zero. What else do we have? we got to have two or three. We oh, wait published. a minute. You mean the one that we filmed at Summer Strong that... Uh, we decided Turned to do a dumpster fire after <laughs> after we all did ten shots. <laughs> I mean, that's not what actually. That's when happened. I went to bed at four o'clock in the afternoon. That's right. Yeah. Um, what getting back into this? So that that's episode one eighty eight eight, and uh, find that on the website. But that the the discussion really cent- centered at that point, John. Like you and Dave were kind of well, if you could con- like control, because I think there's kind of two lanes, right? Could and should. Uh, you know, what would be an ideal athletic development track for, let's say, the first 10, 15 years of life, right? Well, there's a, there's a direct correlation between physical intelligence and mental intelligence up into about the age of six or seven. Mm-hmm. So the more movement that the child has, the more intelligent he becomes. Um, I remember years ago, and whether or not this is true or not, I don't know, but um, it was actually in reference to Rasputin, who was the Russian mysticist who, uh, you know, and basically infiltrated the Russian royal family. And was this like crazy monk. So I read a bunch of stuff on Rasputin. and I just thought he was an interesting character. But he was born in Siberia. And the interesting thing is the ground froze so early in Siberia that they could, the if you had a child in a certain window, um, you had to, 
basically like you had to have children in this window or the child wouldn't survive mm -hmm. because the ground was so cold that like the parents were working and doing things they didn't have time to hold the child all the time. So the baby would just basically freeze to death. So Rasputin was born outside the window, but because he, he started to walk at six months years, uh, at six months, he was, uh, you know, ended up surviving. So I always thought that was a pretty interesting thing that talked about like development, like how could they get a child to walk at six months? Well, you know what, if it's just forceful, if the ground is cold and they like yeah. put the baby on the ground. So I always remember that was a pretty interesting observation. Um, but the other one too is just, you know, like I'm a huge believer in like old, old, like when it comes to children and babies and all that, like old wives tales and observations over time. Like I think uh, the observations of grandmothers and, you know, things that they've observed over history have so much weight for me compared to like current research. And I always love when all these parenting books and all this stuff comes out and the, and the doctors have no children. Mm -hmm. uh, that always kind of blows me away. But uh, that one with Rasputin was pretty interesting. But the other one, when I got a chance to hang with Dr. Romanoff years ago, I asked, um, and this is when I found out my wife was pregnant with twins. I asked Dr. Romanoff, um, you know, like, what did they do for athletic development with the children? Like, what did it look like in the athlete villages? Uh, what type of things? And he, he made a couple interesting comments. One of them was like, put the baby on the floor. They have to explore their environment. They have to learn to move. And he's like, American children are coddled and held too much. And what that doesn't force them to do is explore their surroundings and pull and move and it doesn't allow them to exercise. We, and he basically made a comment like, we treat them like veal. We carry them everywhere. We do everything for them. We don't allow them to explore their environment. Um, the other one he said that is, uh, was a terrible deal is um, uh, the, the things that assist their, their walking, right. especially like the bouncing things when you put them in like the bouncy thing in the, in the doorway. He's like, don't use anything that changes their gait or allows them to move without their own ability. Put the baby on the floor, leave it alone. You know, like he's like, I don't suggest you lock it out or this, but like, you know, go in the kitchen, leave the baby, like, you know, obviously, you know, put it in a space where it's not going to hurt itself, mm -hmm. but like allow the baby the freedom to explore its surrounding, pull itself up, do things. And he's like, you kind of have to like watch out of the corner of your eye. And um, that was a pretty big one. He said the other one too is... Um, uh, had to do with eyesight development that when we started swaddling children and putting them on their back, they started developing eyesight different because they were focusing on things far opposed from being on their stomachs and focusing on things close. Mm -hmm. So the idea that we developed the ability to see close to far opposed from far to close was something that, that he observed. Mm -hmm. Um, the other big one was the crawling tracks. So, um, I think, uh, I think I've told this story and God, it's been so long. Like I can't remember uh, the exact details, but when I was in Philadelphia, and this is pretty young in my NFL career, uh, I got asked to be the keynote speaker at this um, at this special school, and it was pretty interesting. Like Julie Dubin, who was the uh, head of public relations, was like, "Hey, would you mind going and being a keynote speaker for these guys?" And I was like, "Yeah, sure." I mean, I, I get to go take a limo, and you go to dinner, and you get to go to an event. You know, me and I'm always looking to try to you know add a story in it. So we go to this event, and uh, it was. Um, it was a, it was a school for kids with special needs up in Bucks County, up like in uh, up you know somewhere outside of Philly. And what they had done is uh, children that had like Down syndrome or like some severe severe uh, brain and just physical things, like the parents realized that they couldn't be the person that the child needed to take them on the next part of this journey. So they would actually come and like ward them to these people and sign them over, and then the parents would leave and like not have any contact which sounds pretty horrible, but they would like rehabilitate and bring these kids along and like kids with Down syndrome would all of a sudden be able to like live on their own and, you know, have like, uh, you know, an apartment and a relationship and just the amount of stuff that they did. So uh, they get up and they're like talking about the school and then like going through these kids and uh, the parents are getting up and telling these like harrowing tales of like, coming here at four years old and dropping their child off and signing them over and then not having contact, but just, you know, very, and then the, the headmaster gets up and talks about like what they did for the work and how this whole thing was and made that point that um, there's a direct correlation between intelligence and physical intelligence. So what they did is they got these kids to move, they did gymnastics, they did this. I mean, they did so much stuff. And as I've listened to these stories, all of a sudden the headmaster guy like reads my bio as the keynote to like, and I, I got up there and I, I had like written out this speech and I remember being like, I just kind of threw it away and was like, I, uh, I've never been so embarrassed in my life that like the accomplishments that he's highlighting are nothing compared to what these children and what these parents have done. 
uh, I'm not a parent, but like I, I can't even put myself in it. It was one of those, one of the only times in my life where I've been like legitimately embarrassed uh, to have somebody sing accolades um, in the face of people that like have fought the ultimate fight, at least in my book. So I remember that encounter. And uh, when I started asking them about like kind of like things that they did and whatnot, one of them had to do, and I remember seeing these like crawling tracks and what they were is they were wood, they had, they had sides and they were probably 24, you know, 30 inches and they had a side on them and then they had them covered in like naga hide or vinyl and they were foam padded and they would actually ask like the babies as young as, you know, two, three, four, five, six days old, they would put them in the track to sleep and then the babies would naturally start crawling. Mm-hmm. Um, as you know, like with babies, when they sleep, they have their legs underneath them and that kind of like almost like a little egg yep. and they would kind of start to do it. And so we, I created these tracks, me and Jesse Gray built them in my backyard. And when we brought the kids home, we set up the tracks and um, I swear the kids crawled. My wife still says the kids didn't crawl. They just screamed. Uh, but we did that. Um, the other big one was um, uh, Dr. Romanoff made a good point. He's like, don't make your children wear shoes until it's mandatory for them to wear shoes to go to school. Mm-hmm. So uh, we didn't, I, I didn't even buy the kids shoes. Like they, like when it was cold, they wore like, like these like booty socks. Or they were, they still catch you, still wear some rubber shoes, but um, they wore no shoes uh, growing up. They started gymnastics as soon as I could get them. I took them down to the Azarian place. So, uh, something that teaches spatial awareness, tumbling, movement, uh, you know, intrinsic um, balance. So, we did, um, I, you know, I had balance beams. I had all the gymnastics stuff at home too. So, they would go. Uh, we did swimming. Uh, we had a backyard and uh, you guys have heard me play the game where I make the kids swim and then I swim under under the water and I pull them down and, mm-hmm. and basically teach them to, now they're great. We get in the water and those kids fucking swim like fish. Mm-hmm. So I think that was a good um, one. I mean, uh, like I've been a little hesitant on terms of like organized sports because of the parents and just kind of like, like the hysteria around it. But um, the kids have done really well with swimming. They've done really well with gymnastics. Achilles transitioned really well into, uh, into horseback riding. And for the most part, um, I just wanted them to have like a, you know, existence like the, the big one. I just, you know, today's their birthday. They turned nine. So I got them skateboards because part of the thing is uh, I want to take them skiing this year and I want to teach them that sliding. So I thought it was great to introduce a skateboard at this point that teaches mm-hmm. balance. Mm-hmm. So just the biggest one comes, um, you know, like uh, the big deal, they're, they're so nervous about um, SIDS happening that that's why they swaddle and they, they have baby sleep on their backs, which like I can't even imagine the SIDS deal. Like when, you, when you're going through as a young parent, you're watching these videos, like the fear of coming in and having this is like wakes you up every couple, you know, every hour to go check on the baby and you swaddle them and they lay on their backs, but uh, which is an unnatural position. Like babies like to sleep on their face. I mean, if you notice, they like put, they turn their heads, you know, like the mouth, the way their, their faces are kind of built allows for it. So, um, and then they talk about like the benefit of tummy time, Mm -hmm. which, you know, like that's all we would do. Like we would swaddle the children when they slept. The minute they were up, we put them on the ground on their tummy time. That's what I was going to say is like, we did do swaddle and we did, she slept on her back and then it was, but when there was no swaddle, it was tummy time or... I was like, when I knew she started to see, like it, you, there's a very clear point where it's not just shapes anymore. There's like, you see, they, like you they, see that they're like, they're mimicking and trying to do the same facial expressions that you are. Maybe even the same gestures with the arms, hands, legs, what, you know, cause they can't like, they can't do anything. They're just blobs of totally uncoordinated waste and poo. Like that's it until they start to switch on. And then when she started to do that, that's when I started to spin her yeah. inverter. Um, kind of like just do some tumbling i figured i don't know like if you do it from day one it's never going to be weird well the other one too is um so jesse's dad made me a little ladder so Mm -hmm. i had this little ladder with rungs and i don't know if you guys remember this they used to hold onto the rungs and i would carry the ladder around yep so the way that i transported them was that they had to hang and hold their hands and then i would transport and move them and the only way we could only go as far as they would hold on Mm-hmm. So I wouldn't pick them up. I'd be like, okay, latch on. And I grab the ladder and then I would move them. Yeah. So working grip strength. And then as soon as she started to like kind of what I perceived to be intentional control of her legs, um, I, I would make her squat. Yeah. Like I would try to get her lined up and then she would eventually push up, you know, and yeah. I'd just sit there and maybe even work through some eccentrics 
But uh, the big thing too was, you know, I think Jesse also was the guy talking about like when you're carrying yeah. the baby, the football care like a football. So the head's out. Yeah. And then what I would do is I'd like, I intentionally would start working my hand further and further and further back. And then we actually started to do some yeah. like, like almost supine bridge holds yeah. ISOs. So like constantly, yeah. constantly working the back. Um, and she was a smaller baby though. So I think she was, I couldn't imagine. Which some is of my friends, good though, but she's, yeah. she's bulked up since then. Yeah. Now she's a, Fire plug. Well, but, I don't know. Uh, but uh, like mm-hmm. I like I used to do the same thing. I'd hold them by the hips and mm-hmm. make them do like a back eccentric yep. and yep. arch their backs. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the uh, the big one, and this was this always kind of blew me away. And this actually changed um, a little bit of my thinking in terms of lifting weights when I realized that the squat is how the baby stands up. Mm-hmm. So they like roll into a squat and then they stand up. It's how they go from the ground to a squat. Like we in later life eccentrically load to like sit, but they go from laying on the ground into a squat to stand, which kind of made me think I'm like, Oh, the concentric movement of the squat in terms of like a functional movement. And I hate that term functional movements, but also the, uh, the cross patterning of crawling being very important, you know? So like putting them on, I, and what I would do is, um, I put them on their stomachs and then they would kind of get into a crawl and they would take a hand, and then kind of like move the other one and then I put them back down and it just, just trying to find ways to, I guess not, and tor- I guess torment's not the right word, but challenge their environment. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And there's, so one thing we learned about Ash did the whole birth fit curriculum through, uh, I guess through birth fit, there's uh, like the, there's two or three courses. And one of the things that they're big advocates of is uh, the DNS you remember, have you ever heard of that DNS, which I'm looked it up real quick is dynamic neuromuscular stabilization. And there's like, don't quote me. Maybe she has it on this blog. Um, there, but there's a progression, right? There's a progression that they've observed for kiddos. Like, you know, step one is being able to roll, yeah. right? Roll on your belly or vice versa and roll on your back. So there's rolling, then there's like this half bear, then there's full bear, then there's tripod. And like, so there's like a whole progression. And when you're sitting there and you're watching your kid squirm and learn to move, you're kind of like taking these off and it goes in line with not force. Like this progression is what all this ultimately builds the patterning of walking well, the, and climbing. The, and if you rush that with yeah. some of the, the assisted walker or assisted standing type of toys or uh, convenience tools for parents, cause that's really what our perception was is like, we looked at everything. We're like, which ones are just to make a parent's job easier. Yeah. And then we said, Hmm. we're not going to do that. Like, I don't know. Like we just, whether it's intentionally go the hard road or just like, it seemed like that was just a shortcut or a hack where it's like, I don't think so. To the point where like, I was a big advocate not to get a video monitor. I thought, why don't we just get the noise? Because that's all we need to know. Yeah. But then I ultimately caved on it, and we don't. I was afraid that Ash was going to be. We've been to friends' houses where they just have that fucking monitor, and they're glued to it, and you're trying to talk to them over dinner or like drinks or something after dinner. They're just like looking at their baby. Like I didn't want to even be sure. tempted by that. And I think we've done like a pretty good job of not having that interfere with us. But that was like a big. And man, talk about our parents had like, no, like my folks did a good job of respecting boundaries. Ashley's folks maybe could have done a better job of respecting boundaries, but they did not understand why we didn't want to take some of the like convenience and luxury items on our, that they wanted to buy us like uh, for the baby shower, Mm -hmm. you know, but. Uh, The other one that I was big on was, um, so I remember years ago we went to uh, San Diego Zoo with the kids. And so as soon as the kids could walk, like, and I mean, like, not just like kind of like, you know, drunk college girl walk, but actually like kind of walk, I refused to bring a stroller anywhere. Yeah. So the, um, and it was pretty interesting. I think the girls were probably, man, they would have had to have been three or four years old. We go to San Diego, we get out and it was pretty hot that day, but like not after we live here in Texas, fucking nothing is hot. So warm day in California might be 70 degrees, 75. So we go to the deal, we walk up and we walk the entire zoo and the girls were maybe, so this is pre-cashy. So they were probably three. We walked that entire day, went to the zoo, went here, climbed here. And like there were these like really heavy people and they're really obese kids. Like these fat kids just in strollers that were like five and six years old, just like splayed out. Mm-hmm. And these parents who were on the verge of a heart attack, pushing them around and being like, 
you know what? And if the kids were tired, I'd get them water. If they wanted to rest, I was fine. But I'm like, I'm not pushing you in a stroller. Like you need to learn to have the capacity to be able to move. I'm not going to fucking stroller you everywhere. And, uh, that was like a real big one for us was like, um, I didn't, uh, like when we traveled on uh, airplanes, we had like the baby Bjorn thing because it was just easier to get through security and have your hands. But other than that, I carried them everywhere and Kate carried them just for the fact that like, I never wanted to make it like convenient for us. Like I'm going to carry them like even on airplanes. Um, like, you know, we have like a, um, a, uh, what do you call it? Like a big, like cart almost it's like a collapsible deal we put all our luggage in and make the kids walk so i just think that there's something to it like it's um it's less convenient for you as a parent but at the end of the day uh it like teaches the kids to be resilient and move and run and um but the biggest one i think what parents do is uh they they add these things out of their own convenience like i got to do something i don't want to chase the kid around so i'm going to put it in this jumpy thing in the uh Door, doorway or I'm going to put them in uh, um, these, you know, walker things. And uh, like it just, it, 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 I don't think it benefits the children at all athletically. Mm-hmm. Oh, and the other one is uh, make sure you have some dogs. Uh, so, dude, I remember the kids would come home and the dogs would like lick them, lick the face, lick everything, lick all the food off of them. And I remember, I, I can't remember, was it, um, God, who who was the one that told me? about uh, developing immune system that children that grow up with dogs and, and grow up with animals in the house have stronger immune systems later in life. And it was like, a, sure enough, the dogs went over and would like lick these kids clean to the oh, point yeah. where we didn't even have to wipe them up. And like, they're like licking them in the mouth. And I'm like, mm. and then thinking like, well, it's probably helping their immune system. And cleans your floors. A hundred percent. The fact that people don't like, so things fall on the ground. I like, I, and it's funny, you go over to somebody's house and like something falls on the ground and you kind of like look around you're like, oh shit, you don't have a dog? Yeah. No, I'm not picking that up. The I was like, dude, uh, anything falls on the ground, like oh, ninjas yeah. come over there. You guys were talking about having a Roomba. I got two dogs. Yeah. Yeah. Did you have named a Roomba? What do you got? The, going back to Raphael Ruiz's 2019 Power Athlete Symposium presentation that's available on the Power Athlete YouTube, YouTube channel. He d- deep dives into the life cycle of an athlete and a conclusion that he brought up, I feel is in our, our callers stage. So he walked through four phases and the final phase. And I thought this was awesome was he Raf calls it alpha within the, the presentation. When he gets to that segment, it's you as an athlete or a leader or a coach or now a father, your kids start to pick up on the little things, the nuances. Luke said the, the facial expressions and things like that, but it's also how you move. And John, you referenced uh, an old people study yeah. and also your, your temperament, how you communicate on all these different things. So Reese put that into the athlete development of when you reach the stage of whether it's, you know, the, the freshman following the senior or the, the father figure being representative for this, one, two, three, four, five-year-old kid that learns mm-hmm. to then communicate and work with others and share and so on and so forth. I thought it was awesome that he dedicated the time and the presentation to how you hold yourself as how your young ones, whether mm-hmm. they are your athletes or your kids, kids, yeah. the shadow you take cast. on. Well, yeah. Shadow, that's kids a good learn point. by watching. Yep. So that's been a big one. I've talked about, you know, they're always watching. I mean, I've, I've told you guys a story about, um, driving and, uh, <laughs> Uh, I got cut off and I kind of like put my head back and I was like, fuck, like, uh, you know, like just like this. And then all of a sudden, like, uh, like, like a couple of days later we're driving and like something happens. And all of a sudden I look in the back and Jamie goes, fuck, like head exactly like didn't even say the word fuck, but like, fuck, like kind of just like grunted something out. And like instantly I could see Kate's face just looking right at me and I'm like, well, that's on me. Yep. Um, you know, but I also believe that, uh, a, a healthy use of profanity, especially at a young age, like I was well-skilled in profanity mm-hmm. as a little kid for the fact that I had older brothers and, you know, they were so excited to teach me all these words, mm-hmm. hoping that I would use them in inappropriate ways. <laughs> um, but I think for a lot of that stuff, like, um, uh, you guys grew up with sisters. I grew up with older brothers and I think that like inherently something with older brothers and like, I, I really wish, uh, like I, I'm so to catch these older sisters, but I'm always like, when I see him do stuff, I'm like, your older brother would have beat your ass. Mm-hmm. So it's, uh, 
I think kids are kind of like dogs in some way, like some do well by themselves, but I think for the most part, usually kids do well with other kids. So, you know, like, um, you know, I know Luke's probably, you know, has Ruby and probably maybe, maybe working on one on the way. Cause, uh, be a lonely day if it was just you guys and no. Ruby. Yeah. We need an <laughs> army. Um, so some other things I want to get to, I'll just jump into this part first. Cause the next thing I want to talk about is like my ideal sports participation for little Ruby. But listen, dude, listen, number one, congratulations, which we forgot to say, because it is like a totally worthwhile endeavor. I hesitantly, reluctantly signed on to pay a a healthy fee to have a doula. Mm. So for dads who don't know what a doula is, they are essentially like your wife's during the, the... uh, I guess the pregnancy process and delivery process, they are your wife's advocate, essentially, right? Um, and I was fortunate, I guess, that we were able to land Lindsay, who we were, Lindsay Matthews from BirthFit, who we're friends with. So like I had a pre-existing relationship with her. So it wasn't like, I, I don't know. I, I guess for me, it was just dollars and cents. Cause like going into this whole thing and we decided to go to a birthing center that wasn't covered by insurance, but like, I don't know. My my thing was, and heeding John's advice is like, y- you are assistant coach. So yeah. my goal was to like support, w- push back and understand and make sure it was justified. And like, and Asha did a great job of justifying it. And it wasn't just like, well, I just want to do it because someone so-and-so did. No, like she had like put a lot of thought into how the experience that she wanted to have. And I did leading up to that, literally everything I could to like, be her advocate, interface with the doula. We had doula meetings and like it put me outside of my comfort zone, but I just did it like, and when it was game day and like the, it was on and labor had started and like active labor and pushing and we're in this like birthing center, which is half hospital, half home birth type of setup. If I was there alone, I, it would have been hard. So what ended up in hindsight being Ashley's advocate was also like my buffer as well, because there are times where like, you're just tired and you want to kind of be there and soothe or comfort your wife. But then you got to go like, talk to the nerd. Like, I want to, I'm like, Lindsay, I want to talk to these ladies, go figure this out. And she's like, you got it. And then she just like went, talk to the ladies. And she does this for a living. Yeah. So like, and she's been to multiple ones of these things. She gets to know, and I assume most doulas are female, right? Like there's probably male doulas, Uh, but that'd be interesting. Ben Skutnik, right? He was aspiring male doula. But I would say explore that option. It it was worth it. Like it was 100% worth it because I've had friends who have not had a doula and have had these have to have hard discussions, especially in like hospital births where there is kind of a stigma, whether or not it's justified or not. There is a stigma that, man, a lot of these hospitals will rush into a C-section because they want to just clear the beds and turn everything. Well, it's like, faster. Yeah. And, and there's uh, less chance of anything they can turn into a surgical procedure, yeah. which makes it uh, a higher cash value. Mm-hmm. And they get you in and out. Like, yeah. they, like the baby's born in it's, two minutes. And it makes sense. And lots of healthy babies come via C-section. Like if that's part of your thing, cool, go for it. Like I know some friends who are like, no, we're taking advantage of the medical system here. Like we uh, want to go that route. We would have done natural other than the fact that both the girls were breech. Yes. So it was like, um, extremely high risk. Well, like, uh, they, they can't come feet first. Yeah. So, and there it's hard to, well, it depends and, what hippie doulas you talk to. Well, uh, cause we had a girl who knew, who knew uh, how to oh, do it. Oh, how to, t- well, they, yeah. they, they do a thing which is called a manual manipulation mm-hmm. where they can turn the baby in the but the problem is is uh sure for twins oh dude I, uh yeah. i i don't think that they like i remember like kind of researching it and it was like well we either turn the babies or you have a miscarriage and you're like oh fuck okay that's Oof. not happening right um but yeah and then the, the worst part is is on kate's uh when we had cash they got it in her head that there was a chance of like a rupture because mm-hmm. she had a c-section Vaginal birth after c-section right it's like uh, a big a oh, big medical red flag it was like three percent yeah so like it, uh, it's, it's just, like an 80% increased risk on top of 1.2%, yeah, which yeah. is, it's just, and, it's nonsense. And the way they sold it to her was like, and, and I wish that I had had uh, somebody like a Lindsay, like a doula to kind of like talk us through it. But like, as soon as that doctor fucking like saw it, like uh, tried to put the fear into my wife, it yeah. was like, uh, well, let's just, you know, this. And it's, it would have been nice to have somebody like a Lindsay being like, 
Yeah, she's full of shit. Don't worry. This is totally normal. And even if you did say it, John, it's not the same. So it's yeah. not the same. And it's not like about you, you ultimately at the end of the day, you just want what's best obviously for your baby and then for your wife. Like you want what's best for them. And, um, it's int- It's just, it, it's a very fantastic, like epic experience all around. So like, well, but on that end, I would say, dude, there is work to be done starting now. Like your training starts now. Mama's training starts now. If she wants, well, it should have probably started two years ago, but if she wants to like go like a, an all natural route and like no meds, anything like that, there's a lot of work to do, I think. And I think that's what made Ashley pretty successful is like every day she woke up, she trained, she did her self work, she did her everything she needed to do as guided by the crew at BirthFit. And there's other people out there that that can build this framework for you, but I'd recommend it. And um, the folks who I know, and this is great small sample size, kind of straw man, but the folks who I know who did that type of work had like better, better postpartum experiences and like early infant experiences. The babies are kind of chill. Some of the folks who I know who were like, maybe just ignored it and showed up on game day, you yeah, know, no, it's a bad the deal. kids kind of were hard. Like they just had a harder time postpartum. And I don't know if that's take it for what it is, and the sample size is like five. Well, you the know? other one too is it's a lot easier for the woman to get back into shape and to get everything working again if they were in pretty decent shape yeah. going in. So I know, like with like a lot of the postpartum stuff and just you know some of these issues, like if you're in pretty good shape uh, going into it, when you get out the other side and all of a sudden you start training and getting back into it, it's a lot easier to go somewhere that you've been opposed to mm-hmm. somewhere you've never done. Uh, the other big one too is, um, uh, the breastfeeding feel, uh, is like not only great for the kid, but like, uh, like I was watching my wife eat like five to 7,000 calories and was still like fucking losing weight. Mm -hmm. And she like, it was amazing (laughs) to see this whole transformation and then thinking like women that are like, don't breastfeed. I'm kind of like, well, how how do you get back into shape? And more importantly, like, uh, you know, how does that whole process? Because Mm -hmm. in, in a way it's just. I, I really would stress that and think, mm-hmm. and, but I'll tell you when, um, when I was born, my, uh, I was breastfed and I remember my grandmother and I've heard, I, I heard this from my mom secondhand being like, you're breastfeeding, how low class of you. There was like kind of a movement in like the 50s, 60s and 70s where like breastfeeding was kind of like low class and like there's a better solution and all that. And it's kind of gone back full circle now where, you know, uh, it's considered the, you know, the thing to do and it's yeah. kind of the best for the child. So, and on that note too, you would think those dumb little babies know what, what they're doing. They have no clue. No. There's a, there's an angle. It's like a pinch, a, a C clamp to get a latch with the flange. It's a nightmare. Yeah. It was like, we had a hard time. I shouldn't, I mean, it wasn't a, it was a challenge. It was certainly like we a battle. Those, we, and we ended up getting a, a consultant uh, so, or a coach. Yeah. And that like, again, I'm thinking like, uh, 180 bucks an hour lactation like, consultant. I'm like, I'm just so fucking frugal. Like, I'm like this. What? And okay, then, let's and then burn sh- this money. And they show up, and it was like two seconds. This woman had the baby latched. I'm like, holy shit. I would have paid five hundred dollars. Yeah, for we're this. actually where were you three weeks ago? You know, yeah. so it was. Um, I'd recommend like there is a lot of we very those... like institutional knowledge that just yeah. isn't shared. We're not in, like, and well, I asked her. I'm like, why? Why don't babies just know this? And, well, and I think we've talked about it. We're like, our species, at least when we like our offspring are so helpless, like the gestational yeah. period that they're not, when we deliver a baby, they're not self-sufficient till 26, 35. <laughs> How old do you text? 34. <laughs> yeah, you got uh, one more year. We had, uh, we had those night nurses come and yeah. the, those big women showed up and like they had her latched and it was the crazy thing. Uh, Kate bred breastfed both a, the girls at the same time, which, you know, basically makes her a pro in my book. Yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, so when Cashy was born and they brought him in, she like literally, it was pretty funny. Cause like we were in the hospital and she like gets Cashy and she like, you know, got him to latch the whole thing. And then the ladies come in and they're like trying to talk to her. And I finally just said to the nurse, I was like, Hey, we don't need any help. Like she had twins. Like she'll yeah. figure it out. And the lady was like, well, she's, you know, this. And finally I was like, get the fuck out of here. Yeah. And I uh, just actually asked the nurse, I was like, Hey, I don't mean to be a fucking rude, but get the fuck out. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. um, because they like all they were doing was coming in and fucking it up, and I'm like, dude, uh, I have uh, 
hundreds of hours being awake in the middle of the night trying to get these babies to latch. Like, believe me, she knows what she's doing. And yeah. like these ladies were arguing with us. And at that point, we had such a bad experience going to the hospital that I would like, if I could go back in time, I should have put like my foot down and been like, we're not fucking doing this hospital. We're not dealing with these fucking butchers. Mm-hmm. We're going to go and do it this way. And I think it's just a lot better an experience for the women, for the father, for the baby and mm-hmm. everything. Like, they're re- like, go to the hospital if something is catastrophic and there's a, a problem and you know mm-hmm. life's on the line, but going there electively, I, I won't do it. Yeah, yeah. So we're, we're going to, for any future... You're going to do the kiddie pool at the house? I don't know, man. Like You're going to bring in a dude to like play the guitar and like... You know a guy? <laughs> yeah. We're going to have a guy playing a guitar. We're going to have like a, 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 what do you call it? Like a pixie girl. Mm-hmm. It would be great. Mm-hmm. I, so, but I guess I'm a firm believer, like start the training, like be get serious about it now. And I say training, not necessarily like banging weights, but like get a system, get aligned, get, I would recommend a doula. I'd recommend even like new parent courses. It's just, it's, I think it was worth it in hindsight. It's felt silly to be honest with you, but I think it, it worked out. And I guess I don't have anything else to compare it to personally. But then now the fun stuff, I guess. So my plan, and I, I, got, I guess I thought I was going to have like this little frail, thin baby that would grow into like a tiny young lady, but she's turning into like a pretty thick baby. Like, well, it's good. Baby should be thick. Yeah, but not like, I mean, she looks like a linebacker, well, I think. But, I, but it's also my kid. I'm curious you, if I have distorted reality. Do you remember how thick Jamie was? Yeah, but she was like, pudgy like cute baby pudge she no she was like huge like thick and Mm -hmm. now she's a beanpole so anyways the plan regardless i think i'm big in i'm gonna lean hard into trying to get her into wrestling like girls wrestling and i uh there's an instagram account that i just fucking love that's on one of my rotations within world of engineering and calvin and Hobbes is wrestle like a girl and like it's just so cool to see these little girls get out there and scrap like I think we all can think of buddies in our lives who were wrestlers and have grown up to have like an amazing work ethic as well, you know, and talking to when we had Josh Bridges on the, the show, like I, I just hope that that can be an avenue where she embraces that competitive edge. Um, and like, well, you just got to watch vision quest. Oh, a I, lot. Oh yeah. No, like we're, we're thinking about it. We're thinking how we're going to do it. But if she doesn't want to like, again, like yeah. every parent we've kind of had on and asked, I'm also going to mostly nurture where the interest lies. If it turns out to be music and dance, that's fine. But there's, I want there to be some sort of like constant, the Angela Duckworth, the hard thing every year. There has like, there has to be physical activity in our, like our family. And that's going to like, we're just going to set that precedent out of the gate. And early on, I feel like you can really influence what the kids want to do, like swimming and gymnastics and things like that. So like there's this obligatory, um, exposure to swimming and gymnastics. And I want to try to get her into like maybe pe- like BMX or like uh, some sort of like off-road biking where there's pedaling sagittally and you're steering in the transverse and there's a high level of like um, speed. Uh, CNS stimulation because you got speed coming by you, you're turning. Like, so it's a multi-planer thing. Uh, and that came from Greg. Um, who's our dude in Wolf Brigade? Wolf Brigade oh, uh, Greg. Uh, yeah. Uh, Reinhold. No, Greg uh, Walsh. Yeah, yeah, Greg Walsh. So those are like what I want to try to get early exposure to, where you like well, the kid doesn't know any better, and they're like, I don't know, Dad just said I'd do this. The thing is, is um, don't make it easy. Uh, like I, I think I was telling you guys, Kelly rides horses pretty much every day now, but um, her and her like little group of friends, like the parents, all of a sudden like decided that they were going to like make the the deal easier mm-hmm. and some of the parents went and bought these pretty expensive ponies like show ponies that had experience and what and didn't get nervous and all of a sudden these girls who like now they have these horses that are really well trained and like they cheat code they don't refuse they don't do anything they show up they're like totally this and so like i, I asked kelly and she's like you know i feel like the other riders are, are getting better than me and i'm like why is that and she's like well my horse um and she just rides one of the the school horses She's like, I feel like my horse isn't uh, like refuses and isn't as easy to ride as uh, as as her friends' ponies. And I was like, good. I was like, you know what? You're not giving up on that horse. You're gonna take it. Like, like I I want kid like so I want her to have adversity at a young age. Mm-hmm. I want them to like have to get into something where like they're a little down and they got to work harder. Whereas 
if the the solution is me just throwing money and buying her a bit like well we'll just buy her an expensive horse right like, like the parents did yeah. and then that is what allows her to be good instead of like like fighting in the trenches and dealing with it and developing your skill because what's going to happen is she's going to come out the other side so much and i'm like i you know the parents are like well we just want her to have a or like their excuse was we just want the kids to have a great experience and i'm like you just want to see a whole bunch of ribbons for your kids so you can yeah. stand there and brag as a fucking parent. This isn't about the kid, it's about you. Mm-hmm. And what I've realized is that parents live vicariously and they're able to like relive their childhood and like, you know, some imaginary slight that they're gonna write. And what they do is they get into it. And we, we see this all the time with like kids' sports where like the parents are super involved and they have this dream for the kid. That's really not the kid's dream, it's the parent's dream, but they're gonna like let it manifest. And we see it all the time, like uh, living next door to the barn and like seeing these parents, like these moms are like obsessed, like these horse moms are obsessed with these kids. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, and like I tell Kate all the time, I'm like, uh, is there a worse horse we can get her? Like, is there a worse camp horse that like can't do anything that she has to, not that I want her to do poorly. Fish. Uh, she, she has been riding fish God, because um, uh, I told her that fish is our uh, power athlete spirit animal. And so, uh, uh, so she was like, okay, I'm going to ride fish today. And fish, she actually really likes her. Uh, so yeah, but her horse is great, man. He comes down. Um, I just think like that idea of hardship and I like, I like it, it's such a tough thing too. Cause you don't want your kid to struggle, but you almost know. Yeah, I do. I think, well, but I haven't seen it yet. Well, but, you know uh, what I mean? But like, it, it's kind of like, um, like I remember when the girls played soccer and like, uh, the, like this one girl was like pretty good. She had an older sister and like totally being Jamie with the ball and like, she didn't know what to do. And I was like, Oh, this is awesome. Like, I know that hurt. And I went over there and I was like, oh, thank God. And so I was like, Jamie, what are you going to do? She's like, I'm going to go fuck her up. And I was like, okay. And sure enough, she was like running after this girl the whole time, like strangely competitive. The problem is, is that if I think if we make everything easy and we just make it kind of a simple landing, like I want them to fall out of a tree. I want them to hurt themselves. I want them to get scrapes and bumps and this. And I want them to encounter hardships. Like, uh, uh, you know, like I just, and I forgot, I, I think it was, um, God, I've, uh, I forgot who said it, but like if the first time you actually face adversity is in your 20s or 30s, you're fucked. Mm-hmm. Like I want these kids to face adversity. I want them to, to learn how to fight and like be down and this and how to like, you know, grow up and be able to come up. And I think that's so important. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In my plan, which obviously, what is, what's the saying? Everybody has plans to like get punched in the face. Uh, Mike Tyson. Oh. <laughs> Is to, I'm not going to, I think I'm going to try to at least enforce, like there, there's got to be a lane of like, this is what mom and dad want. And then there's got to be a, also, I think a trade off of autonomy. And in that lane, I'm going to really focus on whatever I think will contribute to potential scholarship opportunities. And I think that that that's pretty broad, right? Well, you're talking crew, lacrosse. Well, you, yeah. heard, you heard the Aaron Cafaro story. Remember Erin? Um, she trained with Kelly Starrett. Uh, mm-hmm. She won two Olympic gold medals. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So she, um, her brother uh, DJ uh, Kafaru, uh, played football at Cal. He's younger than me, but uh, he, when he was playing at Cal, his sister, obviously Erin, his sister, uh, would come to the games. And her senior year of high school, they're at like some like pre-football barbecue thing, and she's meeting some of the ads and the coaches. And the crew coach is like, have you ever thought about going to Cal? And she's like, I don't know if I have grades and this. And he's like, well, have you ever thought about rowing? She's like, I've never rowed. He's like, well, uh, we give scholarships. We can help you get in. So she gets in on preferred enrollment to go to Berkeley, goes and ends up becoming like an NCAA champ, uh, All-American, and ends up winning two gold medals and getting scholarship and becomes one of the most dominant uh, rowers in the world and had never rowed before showing up, but had an athletic background. Right. Was pretty strong and just because her brother was playing football at Cal, got an opportunity to go there and go to a dominant rowing yeah, school. Yeah. So like you never know where the opportunity lies, but there is definite opportunity in developing an athletic skill set that can right. be utilized in any way. Which I think the X factor in that, talking to so many podcast guests, whether it was them as an athlete or as coaches, what they recognize is like the proverbial X factor. The work ethic and the response to adversity, like at that intersection is where coaches can see potential, which is why I think at least wrestling work ethic. If I like, if we can just get that wrestling going, what do you got challenge or 
I will challenge Go. the Jim Davis. Sports don't teach lessons coaches do. Okay. Man. If if the community that you're presented mm-hmm. does have the right coach. Man, that's that a real dickhead that. coaches. Like I, growing up. I, I know we've shared experiences, but it doesn't right. mean there's not good coaches out there. So that'd be... No, I mean, like I, I don't think uh, growing up, other than maybe my dad and Mr. Batty when I was like six years old, every coach I had... Uh, was like an awful experience in terms of dealing with these. Like I remember we'd go to Little League and just get screamed at. I, I had that uh, basketball coach, Mark Bush, who if even as a 40-year-old man, he's probably an old man now. If I saw him, I'd still beat his ass. Um, you know, he used to like kick basketballs at us and yell at us. And I, it was funny because years later, I ran into dudes that were on my team and they were like, Mark Bush's team, huh? I was like, yeah, you remember that? And they were mm-hmm. like, that guy was a fucking asshole. Like to the point where if I was a parent and my kid came home and told me about that, I would go and kind of stand over and watch this and he would get fucking punched. Like, you don't treat kids like that. And um, I, like I had Ken Klug and these dudes were just such like, you know what they were? They were failures as adults, failures as athletes, and they somehow channeled this as being dickheads to kids. And I think the problem is, is that like, you know, like you're out there trying to like somehow right the wrong of some imaginary slight that you had as a kid and like, uh, not everything flaps at, uh, I mean, I remember Mark Bush told me I was the single worst athlete he'd ever seen and I would never play sports in high school and I'd be a failure my whole life. Can you imagine telling a 10 year old kid that well, there are those people out there. And I guess I don't disagree on the coaching side of things, but also playing the odds and knowing that you have very, you have, you don't have a ton of control over coaching. Think of maybe the people you've worked with or the friends that you've met or acquaintances and you look at their, their career trajectories and, uh, maybe just try to align whether or not they have athletic experience in what sports they did participate in. And I would say, in my experience, most of the wrestler dudes I know are hustlers. And they pretty just, switched on. They just hustle. Hard workers. Yeah, yeah. And most of, let's say, like the lifetime soccer type of athletes uh, or even track and field, like solo sport folks, I mean, they're talented. I've not thrived in a team environment with them or seen them thrive in team environments. I think it's different. Like all the girls. I shouldn't say most. All the girls that I knew that were soccer players were all pretty switched on. Mm-hmm. All the dudes that I knew that were dude soccer players, not necessarily switched mm-hmm. on. Great actors. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Falling, flopping. Mm-hmm. And soccer. I shouldn't say most. I'm just thinking of out uh, outliers and, and I know that there's a fallacy I, in that as well. Just... And if, if I could certainly, if I would be willing to relocate each of my kids to go to the like optimal coaching environments to ensure that they get transformative experiences, I'd consider that. However, there's, it's not only is it cost prohibitive, logistically it becomes a significant challenge. So you got to well, fucking play the odds on the sport, I think. So Saturdays, uh is in this sports deal where he gets two weeks of flag football, then he plays two year, two weeks of baseball, and then he does two weeks of soccer. Yeah. So we've been going to flag football on Saturdays. And uh, it's pretty funny to like, yeah, I mean, it's like the difference between four and five and six is pretty huge. Like Cashy still, he's four. And then the oh, kids yeah. that are like five, five, like a late five, early six are like taller and like way more just like switched on. Like that developmental stage, like like you go from like being kind of like a little kid to like a kind of a bigger, I, I guess there's like a weird development piece. But like, you know, running and they like play uh, flag football. So then they have to play sharks and minnows in this and like, I ask him, I'm like, what was your favorite part? And he's like, well, I got to drink water, you know, <laughs> like, it was like, awesome. Like, like, whereas the other kids are out there, like one of the old, like, I think the kid's older than him. He's got like gloves. He's like his favorite player. And he's out there like trying to like do Terrell Owens stuff. And I'm like watching this and like, it, it's pretty funny to like see the parents too, or who rightfully show. So, I mean, we're stoked to see him do this, but like, I can see these parents like, like foreseeing what their potential could be of the child at like at age six. And I'm like, uh-uh. <laughs> I was like, I just want him to have fun. Yeah, like, yeah. I just want him to run around, have fun, like, 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 enjoy camaraderie, like, be around other kids, like, like, just go out there. Like, I hope somebody pushes you down and you push him down. Like, I just, I, I, like, for me, and whereas my wife's super competitive, like, I just want, like, I know what it's like to work and play the sport, and I remember when it was fun, it wasn't because of the people that we were like, uh, like. Like these coaches treating little league baseball like it's it's fucking the World Series and their million dollar job is on the line. Like that's how these parents treated this stuff. 
And it was an awful experience for these kids to get fucking yelled at and have these parents treat us like this. And so like I see that and I'm like, I just want everybody to hit. I want to have everybody have fun. I want people to run and have a good time because I know what it's like to do this when it's not supposed to be fun in the same way. So, mm-hmm. But going back, so text on the coaching front. Yeah, I would just simply encourage you to be a part of that relationship versus the the old handoff, the old pass off. And then if it is a if it is a negative experience, then you have a teaching moment with your kid to to work through that. Mm-hmm. So then it becomes, all right, well you have a manager that you can't get along with and then not just immediately jump to old they don't like Ruby's me. side. Exactly. So you can teach them to manage that sure. versus all oh, the coaches hate me. So it if you're a part of that relationship, you have potential to intervene. And if they are truly an evil coach, it will catch up to them. Sure. And then you can do your part to make sure they don't allow this to happen to future kids. Mm-hmm. Uh, an example is quickly example. Somebody emailed me this morning sharing some Instagram videos of coaches doing poor things in the weight room for some high school students and saying like, you know, we need to do something about it, so on and so forth. And I'm like, do you know this person personally? Have you talked to them? And the person says, yes, tried to go up and their ego didn't, didn't allow them to have a conversation. I said, okay, well, how you approach them was not clear. I would suggest kill them with kindness, go in, offer a workout, see if you can see, ask them to teach you something. So then you can start to mold, uh, build a relationship for you then to, to show them that this mm-hmm. may not be the best lifting technique and de- it was deadlift in particular. It was hor- horrendous, like but a dog shitting a razor blade, even worse. Mm. And you mean shitting two razor blades? Oh yeah. If the kid did that again, he's his career is in jeopardy. Anyway, for the video that was and sent, like, oh, deadlifting. So bad it's not that back. that coach was wrong to send this, but how he approached it, it could have been better. So now you can prevent every other kid from s- totally facing that. Whether mm-hmm. it's the wrestling, the football, the if she does get a weightlifting coach. You have the opportunity to, you know, a thing or two sure, to then bridge that gap. And it's, if you're not a part of that relationship, like then forget about it. Then it becomes the negative to, and you have this list like Billy Madison, right? Mm-hmm. Crossing off names of old ball coaches. That uh, dude, I us. still, I still remember these dudes, man. I, uh, I yeah, still remember. And, and I'm sure you do too. Like, uh, yeah. and, and that's a crazy thing. Like I would never, uh, I can't admit like. Like if I was a coach uh, and I went out and coached my sons and I treated a kid in such a way that like 20 years later, he still remembered my name and spoke with me with disdain. Um, it was funny. Like my, uh, I had this exact conversation with my brother, Ed, who was in a, like, he, he started coaching my nephew Luke's baseball because of the asshole parents. And he's like, I want these kids to have fun. And the amount of stress and fights and battles he got in with these parents and like, everybody's going to play. Why the hell are you playing that kid? He. Everybody plays, everybody hits, everybody has a good time, like have fun. And you know, my brother played college football and was always a real successful athlete. And he's like, I want these kids to have a wonderful memory. And I don't want them to look back uh, like you do on these coaches that like, you know, here you are when you were 10 years old and now you're, you know, you know, 40 something and 30 years later, you still remember the name and be like, fuck that dude. Mm-hmm. Like, he's like, can you imagine like at 10 years old that a coach can treat a kid whereas 30 years later, he still remembers it. And so, but my brother had also fucks with me. He's like, you purposely remember that shit and you would use it as like tackle and fuel to quote Bobby Boucher. Right. But you know, you would use that as Visualize like, and attack. <laughs> well, but like kind of like the, uh, the Rocky Balboa where you got to get beat and he's like, you know, whatever takes you, like whatever you need, like whatever energy you need to fucking go forward. But, uh, I would not want to be in a situation where I coached kids where people didn't have fun. They didn't have a good time, especially for little kids, like go out there and be an asshole to much of like eight, nine and 10 year olds. Like those kids, like, like they're out there just like trying not to like fall over and like, you know, like I just, yeah, man, it's a bummer that, uh, that like the parents, I don't know, desire to be successful or how they view themselves or what they want out of it becomes greater than the experience that the kids have. Mm-hmm. And also on the coaching and we, Talked about this with Justin Cavanaugh on the episode where from his his experience, what they did at the pros started to trickle down into college and over the years trickled down to the high school. And now we're at the point where we're seeing college strength and conditioning work its way into the, the middle school or level. high school. 
because that's all the coaches know. Mm-hmm. And that that's the problem versus having and creating a conversation like the we think about our old time in the weight room as high school and we just did it. We worked hard, grunted and some kids got hurt because some kids didn't. But it's all our, our coaches knew. And then, well, it was the old, the age old, like, Hey, you got to break a lot of eggs to make an omelet. You're like, but those but broken it, eggs were slip discs. <laughs> right. But was it intentionally that way? I don't know. Uh, I, I think what it is, is, um, who, who did we talk to yesterday? Uh, who, who do we have the podcast? Josh Storm. Storms. Yeah, Storms. Talking about how like today there's so much access to information that like, I think 20 years ago, 20 plus years ago, you had an excuse. Like, I don't know any better. But now I think between social media, YouTube, uh, the internet, all the other stuff, if you're still spinning the same shitty paradigm and uh, like bad technique in this, which ends you up on some, what was it, squat fails? What was our favorite uh, Instagram page? Quarter squat gang. Yeah, quarter squat gang. Like ends you up on that. Like you know better. Like there was an excuse where like people just didn't know because they had never seen strong people and they didn't necessarily know. So they were doing the best they could based off of seeing static pictures in a magazine. Like I remember the first time uh, seeing Kirk Kowalski like on on a VHS like squat and I like dude squatted like a uh, what was it like a thousand three for a double and I was like oh shit that's what it's supposed to look like you know I, I uh, like we just it's didn't a know. representation yeah but yeah. now they know and there's no excuse I mean there's there's solutions like power athlete where like you can be uh, ignorant and pretend like you don't know but there are solutions you can reach out to and this is what I'm leading to is. The opportunity, I would suggest even more so in the skill development as a parent, is your importance to increase your social intelligence when it comes to movement, athleticism, sport, coaching, and injury prevention. That is one of the the biggest focuses and the targets of the ACL course is we gave it to parents to empower them to have the difficult conversations because the coaches are so ingrained in skill and W's, it puts you in a position to see what they're doing and applying and where their holes are. That You can fill them with your kids, kid athletes movement to help protect them from injury, which in turn, the more playing time they get, the better they get and more opportunities they have to play and get a little Ruby scholarship. But it is important to increase your social intelligence, not to point the finger to attack, not get the world-class horse to make it easier on the kid and not have the kid or backing them up when saying the coach hates me. Well, let's talk about this mm-hmm. and see if we can put both parties in a position to have a con- have the hard conversation where it leads to continuing to play and continuing to have a passion and love for sport or movement because it is a limited window. And if you fall out of love with sport and training, that's that's a big fear for me in my book, anyone I'm talking to and communicating because we all know the negative consequences of health and life because mm-hmm. how you move is how you live. How you live is how you move. And before you know it, it's too late. And Kavanaugh talked about it. Like once he stopped training because of life got in the way, fucking wheels fall. <laughs> there's no going back or it's a long road. Uh, as Luke says in his blog all the yeah, time, all the time, all well, the time. It's I think a tagline we, actually. I think we curb stomped it. Yeah, for sure. I, yeah, the the big thing is the social piece, text like that, whatever that is that that like social. That, that's the like part of that X factor, where a coach can be just mold the skill. What, and we've we've covered a lot of ground, but you express that as well with mm-hmm. the the doula mm-hmm. and your experience, John, protecting and the heightened stress, the situation you got. You are the assistant coach, yeah. but guess what? You got a kick-ass coordinator in there well, to intervene. No, yeah. Yeah, you, oh, as a doula, just a representation, but yeah, yeah, um, you're, you're just a position coach. That's okay, it. yeah, you y'all know better than me. Get back, coach. At the same time, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Do you see that? He didn't like that. Uh, Storms didn't like that at all when I called him the get back coach. He was like, "Well, no, that was great." So that's what the dad should be in the mm-hmm. the waiting room or that whatever. Ideally. No, like uh, <laughs> the thing is, is like <laughs> I, I that's the doula. Get, so, get back, get back. So before we had like the doula ladies show up. I remember like we, we brought the kids home and like the the doula ladies were supposed to show up like a day or two after we got home. And I remember like us trying to figure out the breastfeeding thing. Like it wasn't fucking working. 
And like all of a sudden, and like Kate's like, you know, I'm like over there, I'm like Googling my phone. I'm trying to watch YouTube videos. I'm reading like, try this, try this. And you're going through all this whole situation and like nothing's working. And then these like ladies walk through and like the babies were feeding within like 10 seconds. Try this, try this. They were all latched up. And I remember being like, my work here is finished. And I just went to the other, I just like left and went out to the family room. And I was like, see you later. I'm like, thank God these women showed up and did this. They were like the Mary Poppins of, uh, showed up, they got the babies feeding and then like they picked them up, they burped them, put them down. And I was like, my job here is not needed. I will just disappear. Smoke bomb. Luke, you said $180 an hour for the, uh, breastfeeding coach. Yeah. Yeah. Lactation consultant. Lactation. Mm -hmm. Um, and they did in two seconds. Uh, yeah, but then you do the nursing and then you try to do this it's a whole I was just curious she charged by the hour and oh no uh, it's, yeah it's but you're not paying for the time you're paying for her knowledge because mm-hmm. it probably right. took her like 10 years to get that far yeah. so but at the end of the day in the middle of the night when you can't get the baby to latch if you'd pay somebody $180 to get him to latch it's fucking hmm. I'll wire you the money we gotta talk to her about her sales technique so we can get parents and old high school football coaches mm-hmm. we can be the lactation consultants for weightlifting mm-hmm. and get them to to buy in that's what i'm saying because those coaches that's a really weird analogy you just made I, I, well think about it those I coaches don't know shit no bridge too but far they got it mm-hmm. no they don't but there's like it's so easy it's, it's just the nips very immediate feedback that it's going wrong <laughs> that's all i can say to you. I, like, I would say the same for deadlifting but <laughs> and squatting enough. and pressing well ladies and gentlemen there you have it that was a fun one uh, a little over 30 minutes <laughs> Thanks for calling, uh, new dad. Hopefully, um, feel free to reach out. Any other questions, uh, we'll push it out to you. And thank you, Power Athlete Nation, for listening into another episode of the Premier Podcast in Strength and Conditioning. Oh, if you have a question, call us 929-464-4640. That's 929-ing-ing-zero. That's right. Bye-bye. Now it's time for you to empower your performance. Head to powerathletehq.com backslash training to choose from a number of programs to meet your specific performance goals. And if you like to break a mental sweat too, visit academy.powerathletehq.com and become a real stakeholder in you or your athlete's success. Until next time, bye!